I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. From 1969 to 1975, one of television's great success stories was the ABC Movie of the Week, a series of films that included many critically acclaimed titles, like Brian's Song and Steven Spielberg's Duel, and others that spawned successful television shows, like The Six Million Dollar Man, The Night Stalker, Kung Fu, and Starsky and Hutch. On top of that, popular performers like Sally Field and Barbara Eden, who audiences knew for light affair like The Flying Nun and I Dream of Jeannie, were given the opportunity to play more dramatic roles that were far removed from what audiences were used to. To explore the rise and ultimate fall of this series of films, we're turning to author Michael McKenna, who wrote the book The ABC Movie of the Week, Big Movies for the Small Screen. What was it about the ABC Movie of the Week that made you say, I need to write this book? I think it was it was a general interest, if if not love, for television. I really do enjoy the medium of television and all variety of, of programming. But I always like TV movies, the, the broad swath of TV movies, from the somewhat basic action-adventure to the horror to the, the long-form miniseries. And in fact, uh, TV movies are one of the reasons I really developed a love for history that turned into uh, my profession, teaching. So I, I always had a, kind of a, an interest in television. And then some of my favorite films were ABC movies of the week. And, and so when I, when I was thinking about something to write about, I wrote an article for a conference about some uh, very prominent TV movies. And then actually the way it worked out rather was that the publisher contacted me and we started thinking about important moments in television history and the ABC movie of the week, not just for the individual films, but for what it spawned, which was essentially the genre of the made-for-TV film, which dominates television for a solid 20 years, maybe even 25 years. And so it was an interest in individual films, the, the genre in general, and then thinking more in terms of the history of television, I started thinking about what was really a, a seminal moment, and it was the ABC movie of the week. As far as your concern in, in your research and obviously the knowledge of the history here, what was the impact, I mean, of the movie of the week on television? Well, what the movies proved, because the ABC movie of the week weren't the first TV movies, made-for-TV films. Uh, NBC had had some pretty good success uh, in the mid-60s with made-for-TV films, but they had aired them sporadically. So they would have maybe five or six a year, sometimes even less than that. They had been successful, but they hadn't really invested a great deal in it. In 1969, uh, ABC, which was the third-place network, really a struggling network, maybe making them more likely to take chances, decided that they were going to invest a massive amount of money for the time, which was $16 million, and produce 25 or 26 films per year with the idea that the made-for-TV film was a viable format. In other words, TV and movies had gone together. They had worked well together. Even from the beginning, TV needed to fill airtime, and they would use whatever films they could get early on there was a something of uh, an adversarial relationship between the, the major film studios in Hollywood, which turned out uh, feature films, and TV. Of course, the studios viewed television as a potential threat, as they had radio and, and other threats in the past. And so movies on TV had always been there, but early on they were a bit ragged. The, the cheap stuff, the stuff that maybe had been shown in Britain but not shown anyplace else, and TV aired it because they had a lot of time to fill. Over time, the major studios start to view 
television, not so much as an adversary, but an adjunct, particularly when the major studios get into making their own TV shows. They develop their own television broadcast wings. And then at that point, they begin to sell, or lease rather, their major studio films, usually about three, four, five years after they had been in theaters. And then television starts to air those, and they do very well, and, and exceedingly well in, in some cases. Right. The problem was that they were, they were very expensive. You mean the licensing and, fees for them. Right, yes. Yeah. To, just to air one was very expensive, and you only got to do it one time. Right. And while they were popular, they were very expensive. And so the TV networks begin to look for ways to maybe create their own films, which they could create, create for a lower cost than the licensee fees, and yet still have them be successful. And that's really where NBC had their success with their world premiere movies in, in the mid-60s, 64, 65, 66. The first major TV movie that most people, TV movie that most people recognize is See How They Run, which is, I believe, 64. Okay. And so the advantage for the networks, what they realize very quickly, is that people will watch these films. They do very well in the ratings. So if the ratings are not an issue and they are cheaper than leasing the films from studios, why not just make our own? And so they begin to, to make their own. But as I said, they did it somewhat sporadically. ABC comes along and makes this massive investment and all of a sudden, they begin to have uh, tremendous success. The movies, some of the movies are ending, in, ending up in the top 10. And then for the entire season, in 70, 70, 71, which would have been the second season, the series itself is the number six show on television. Wow. The following year, it's number five. And that's the, the average for all of the films. And some uh, individual films are finishing in, in one two, three, the four slot in the ratings. And so the minute other networks realize that this works, they begin to produce their own TV films. And then every year it just gets more and more and more and the films are successful and it, it becomes a consistent moneymaker, a consistent ratings grabber. And it becomes a go-to genre for all of the networks, some sooner than others. But eventually by the time you get to, let's say, the late 70s, they are producing two or 300 TV movies a year. And some of them become obvious cultural landmarks. Some of the big miniseries, miniseries like Roots, Rich Man, Poor Man, they become not just TV hits, but, but cultural and artistic endeavors. And so the made-for-TV movie is born out of the movie of the week. In fact, when you think about the terminology movie of the week, it's kind of the, the generic label that people put on all made-for-TV movies. Right. But the movie of the week was just a, a short series, right? The ABC movie of the week ran until 1975. But from that moment forward, every made for TV movie was called the movie of the week, just like all petroleum jelly is called Vaseline. Sure. Scotch tape, Xerox. Called a yeah. Band-Aid. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So it becomes the, the standard. If not, let's say, the, the greatest artistic achievement in every film, it becomes the standard by which you measure uh, TV movie success. But when you start, like ABC starts on the Tuesday Tuesday movie of the week, then they add the Wednesday movie of the week, then they add the Saturday suspense movie. Does then the concern become about quality and oversaturation of the market? You know, it's like when a game show is successful, right, or a reality show, and the network decides, oh, I'm going to run this three days a week, and the audience right. burns out on it pretty quickly after that. Was that something similar yes. that happened? I think it did. I think what happens is you can see that, 
uh, let's say with the ABC movie of the week, that if you were really rating things in terms of quality, if let's say in, in the years that they're airing on Tuesdays and Wednesdays or Tuesdays and Saturdays, uh, when you look at that, if they do 50 movies a year, maybe 10 are really good. Right. And the rest are just filling spots, right? They're just filling in the time that you have to fill. But I think what, what you think about with the others, right? The, the remainder is that, they're like all other entertainment. It's just designed to distract you or give you something to take your mind off of your worries. And even that has cultural significance for people. If if you ever get a chance to look on YouTube and you see people who have posted old TV movies uh, in the comment section, you will always reminisce very fondly about movies that a lot of other people think would just be terrible. Oh, sure. You know, kind of low-grade films. And so I, I think that the saturation is clear, right? They are making a lot of movies. And a lot of them just slip through the cracks, particularly when you think about the fact that in the late 70s, the networks combined are probably turning out maybe 250 or 300. That is a lot of TV movies. Oh, yeah. And if you're an audience who is watching fairly consistently or not even consistently, you're coming in sporadically, actually, and you're catching certain movies. If you're not catching one of those great 10 ones, the 10 great ones of the year, and you're catching a lot of crap in between... That could really be a turnoff for an audience, too, I would imagine. Oh, sure. And, and in fact, I think what tends to happen as those movies begin to proliferate, uh, a lot of critics do dedicate a lot of time to the lesser films because that seems to be the, the, the type of film that prevails. And TV movie does get a bit of a well, – its it, it status is a little bit degraded in that people begin to make jokes about it. Uh, you know, in the, in the 80s, the movies get turned out in, in such a, a, a constant stream that genres emerge and, and they become very critical of that. For example, in the eighties, there was a, a joke about uh, the disease of the week movie because so many TV movies had a, a new disease, a cancer or, you know, childhood illness or something. Right. And the critics become very almost unfair in the sense that they're kind of deriding the entire genre instead of just deriding the terrible movies with the TV star who wants to cry and, and get yeah, a little right. bit of attention. <laughs> right. So it, it, it does kind of degrade the, the film itself, I think, in a lot of ways. And, and also what happens is the TV movie from the industry perspective does begin to change in that the the one-off, let's say 90-minute or two-hour film, uh, that genre of TV movie comes to be viewed by many in the industry as a woman's genre. That, in fact, they're making a lot of these films for women. And in some ways, that, that probably tends to uh, color the type of films that get produced. So it does change over time. The films that generally are, are marketed to a broad audience, they start to be the miniseries by the time you get to the mid-70s. So Rich Man, Poor Man, and Roots, and Winds of War, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, those are for the broader audience. But I think, generally speaking, the TV movie genre comes to be viewed by a lot of people as uh, more of a woman's genre than the larger genre that it was when the ABC movie of the week was prominent. Right. But look, look at look at the success Lifetime had, right? That certainly was a woman's. Uh, thing. Oh, absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. Like they yeah. cranked those suckers out. Oh my god! They, and they got big audiences too. For they those. did. I think of Tori Spelling's. It always comes to mind. Mother May I Sleep with Danger. I don't even know what it was about. I right. thought it was a Lifetime crappy yeah. movie. But yeah, well, that's, that's kind of what the TV movie is. It's it's a bit of a of a joke where even even performers would say almost as a kind of an, a backhanded insult that, well, I have to do the mo movie of the week next week, but then I'm moving on to something better because right. it was just, well, we're going to roll it out. It'll be done and I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. I don't know why this reminded me of this. Bruce Willis was on uh, David Letterman once 
And he was being interviewed about his career and stuff. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm not doing any more of this kind of movie or that kind of movie. I'm not doing this, that. And David let him look. He goes, so I guess you're not doing any more diehards, huh? And and Bruce Willis <laughs> looks at him and goes, man's got to eat, David. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. And, and that's the other thing about the TV movies is that it gave people who were in regular running TV series, it gave them a, a second career almost. Yeah. If you look at a lot of the ABC movies of the week and, and all the miniseries that were produced, you always see the most familiar faces on television because they are, they are recognizable. They have that recognition where people see them in a 20 second clip. They say, Oh, Luke Grant is in, is in a TV movie. I think I'm going to watch that. Right. So it does become a very insular genre in that it, it recycles a lot of people from television and just puts them in a new role or a new part that might draw people who can't imagine. Like for example, there's a, a TV movie in I think 1971. It's called maybe I'll come home in the spring and star Sally Field. Right. And in the film, Sally Field plays a young girl who runs away with her hippie boyfriend to a commune. And uh, a lot of the, the reviews noted that people would tune in to see Sally Field uh, be a hippie and, and a bit of a, a drug user or a dabbler when previously they had known her as Gidget and the Flying Nun. Right. And it would have been <laughs> such a stark contrast to see, to see Sally Field act in that way. So the curiosity factor, basically. Of, uh, right. Yeah. And yeah. the name recognition. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, going through your book and reading your book, like two performers I've always liked, I had no idea they made so many of these movies was Bill Bixby and Darren McGavin. It was like, oh, my God, I oh, got to yeah. go, go search these things out. Yeah. Darren McGavin, in terms of the movies that he makes, he makes some really remarkable movies for the movie of the week. First of all, he's in the two Night Stalker movies where he plays Kolchak. Both of oh, those yeah. movies are huge. Uh, he's in another movie called Tribes, which is tremendous. If you've never seen Tribes, it's really good. It stars uh, McGavin as a drill instructor and Jan Michael Vincent as a hippie who ends up being drafted and sent to a Marine boot camp. And it's, it's 1970 that they make it. And it's really good because it gets into the, the generation gap and, and the culture of the time. Uh, but then Darren McGavin is also the original Oscar Goldman in the Six Million Dollar Man movie. He had a different name, though, and right? Did he have a different name? I think he did. I think he had a different he name. He might have, yeah. Yeah. He was and, evil. And he's also, <laughs> he's also, what's that? He was evil in that movie. He was nasty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he really was. And then he's the, the um, I think it was the sergeant in the Rookies pilot movie. Right. So he's got, uh, there's another movie he does with the movie that we uh, called The Challenge, where he plays uh, some type of mercenary who has single warrior combat on an island to decide some Cold War. Uh, dispute. So he's got really a, a fairly remarkable career in, in the movie of the week. And the interesting thing is that he was in a couple of movies that transitioned to series. Right. And the one he picked, because he didn't want to do the other two from what I've read, uh, The Rookies or Six Million Dollar Man, from what I've read. Uh, and uh, the one he picks is the most successful of all those TV movies, but it, the series is a bit of a flop. It runs for one year, even though it's got tremendous cult status. It, it does. It's amazing. Year. I mean, I love Kolchak. I think it's a great character, but it is amazing to me that those 20 episodes have lived on the way they have, yeah. because all they are is a recycling of the Night Stalker and the Night Strangler. And the Night Strangler was a right. recycling of the Night Stalker. So it was the same Absolutely. thing every and, week. And it's, it's the same thing that the government is, is uh, hiding something and Kolchak has to go out there and, right. and get it. I think what, what, what helped Kolchak get that status was that, Unlike a lot of series, there are series which, if they have a one-year run, especially in the, the late 70s and 80s, you never see them again because they're hard to syndicate. Right. But 
Kolchak was syndicated uh, largely shown at night on CBS. They had a late movie that they showed, and they showed that for about five or six years. So every couple of weeks, they would show a Kolchak episode. And, and I think, unlike other kind of hit-and-miss series, I think that one has a, a long second life because it was shown with some regularity. Yeah. And McGavin is so good as Kolchak. Yes. Even yes. with a crappy script. In general. Yeah, he is. He is. <laughs> yeah. But look, Christmas Story, please. It's great. <laughs> He's great at it. Right. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Will you say a couple of the real highlights I mean, Brian's song comes to mind, but what do you sure. think are some of the highlights of uh, uh, of the whole ABC movie of the week? And I, I'm not going to drag it through all these titles. I'm just wondering from you, what do you feel right. are the highlights? Well, one of the things that, that I think is uh, really useful with movie of the week, particularly with retrospect now, and, and I use this use them in, in the classes that I teach, is to go back in time and see what these films said about that moment in time. So, you know, we're, we're now 50 years down the road and, and you can go back and you can watch some of these movies and get a sense of what was important to people. What were people talking about? What were people thinking about? So even films which maybe don't stand out as all that memorable, that if you mention the title, people wouldn't have, have any recognition of. I think there's a lot of value in, in the ABC movies and, and the movies in general, because it, it does show you how people lived and, and what people were talking about. But, but some of the movies that stand out for me, uh, 1969, there's a movie called The Ballad of Andy Crocker, which stars Lee Majors as a uh, returning Vietnam vet right. who really struggles to to get back into, um, I guess, civilian life or, or, quote, normal life. And that was important because they weren't doing a lot of those movies in the era. It's 1969, and Vietnam, of course, is a controversial issue, and they aren't doing a lot of those. And it, and it was it was fairly sensitive with, you know, some of the... Um, I guess the culture clash of the Vietnam vet with the crew cut running into hippies on Sunset Boulevard, that type of thing. But one of the things that TV doesn't get enough credit for is for dealing with issues sometimes long before feature films ever do it. Vietnam is a perfect example. There are, there are Vietnam movies which are dealing with sensitive subjects years before things like The Deer Hunter comes out or, or Platoon or any of those movies come out. Run, Simon, Run is, is a really good movie. If you've never seen that one, it stars Burt Reynolds, so that's reason enough to watch right yeah, there. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but yeah. And it's, it's Burt Reynolds' pre-mustache. This is, this is when he was, <laughs> uh, I think he, he was uh, still a TV detective, Dan August days. But that, one, that one's really good and, and also culturally significant. I mentioned Tribes before, right. which is, is really a good watch. Uh, one of the, the, the things that happened throughout the, the movie of the week era was very often films would be very successful and really surprise the network, meaning they put a, a film out there and they didn't think it was going to get a big rating and it, and it got a gigantic rating. There's one in 1971 called The Feminist and the Fuzz with uh, Barbara Eden and David Hartman. And if I remember, it, it, it lands at number one and number two in the ratings for that. Oh, week. Wow. And it's huge because think of the time. It's 1971. They have feminist in the title. And so you think it's going to get a large female audience and it's, it's going to be somewhat representative of the time. Now, as it turns out, it's kind of a light, fluffy rom-com, but still the idea that people would be drawn to that because of, of the era in which, in which they lived. Uh, of course, Duel is a huge, maybe that's the one that, besides Brian, so maybe the one that most people know from the yeah. movie of the week, which is, and ironically, when Duel comes out, the, the network and Universal, which uh, had uh, produced it, they thought it was going to be very big. They had uh, a big premiere party, which they never did for TV movies. They had a premiere party on the lot 
Now, some of this might have been because they saw the talent in Spielberg and said, let's get really close to this guy. Yeah, right. We don't want to lose him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they have a big premiere. But then Duel doesn't do all that well in the rating. It's it's not in the top 10 of all the successful Which movies, is crazy. Uh, films. It's so good. Yeah. Then after the fact, if it was 1979 and you saw that on at 11 o'clock at night, you would sit there and watch it because it was Spielberg. And, right. And you imagined how, how great it was. Uh, some of the others, uh, That Certain Summer is a really big film. It's really the first network film to deal in a serious way with uh, homosexuality, with relationship between two men. Right. Which at the time was was a big thing to do. It was a big risk to take. And there was a lot of concern about uh, putting that movie on at 830 at night. And there were a lot of uh, worries, a lot of calls, a lot of preview screenings so that critics could get out there and say, don't worry, there's nothing shocking in it. There's nothing all that titillating in it. It's it's just a movie about a relationship. And it's it's something that goes on in American life. And ironically, the, the major protests to that certain summer actually came from the homosexual community, the gay rights community, because they were angry that the actors in the film, uh, Hal Holbrook and, and Martin Sheen, that they showed no affection to each other. That essentially it was like they were roommates. They weren't lovers. They were just roommates. And, and the anger was, why couldn't you show them be somewhat affectionate? Could they not hug or, or do something in the film? And they thought it was a bit of a whitewash. Right. But but just showing that film is a monumental moment. Sure, because you got to remember the time, American. like you said, the time it was aired that you just didn't do it at all. Absolutely, yeah. right. And and if there were depictions uh, of homosexual characters, usually they were, you know, somewhat insulting, right? There there was the the hairdresser or the the butler who was in most ways portraying some stereotype. Right. And yet this is, these are serious people. Both of the men are professionals. They live together. And it, it's also, in essence, it's a family movie because the son in the movie is having a hard time dealing with it. Right. And so it, it's really more of a, of a more of a family relationship film that just happens to have a homosexual plot to it. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. There's another one that was, I think, also interesting and reflective of the time. It's, it's the film Go Ask Alice, which is right. 1973. And that was based on a very popular book. And it really does reveal how terrified people were, particularly the older generation of the mainstreaming of drugs and, and how drugs were now beginning to permeate American life at, at every level. And it's the story of, of a high school girl who goes from straight A student participating in the band and doing all the, the you know, the straight lace things. And then at the end of one summer, she starts hanging out with the wrong people. And before you know it, She's a drug addict and she gets into prostitution and her life just unravels. It's, it's a bit melodramatic, but I think it also is somewhat reflective of, of the time and, and the fear that people had in that moment in time. Absolutely. You know, it's just it, it, what cracks me up, though, is you have, you know, you're talking about all these important movies that are dealing with themes, relevant themes and all that stuff. And I think you allude to this in the book or come right out and say it. What stands out about the movie of the week, the things that have stood the test of time that people talk about the most, it feels like, are things like Night Stalker, Six Million Dollar Man, Trilogy of Terror. Uh, right. You know, these sort of uh, bad Ronalds, uh, the one with Stockard Channel. Yeah, there's a whole list. Of, I mean, the, the, the horror. Oh, yeah, the Haunts of the Very Rich. Not even that one. No, the other one. Um, the Girl Most Likely to or something, whatever it was called. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, that one's funny. I, like I know. One. It's great, that one. I mean, it really is great. But it's so funny that these are the ones, I think, that have stood the test of time in a lot of ways in terms of pop yeah, culture. Yeah, I think that's because of how somewhat niche our culture is now, where 
you know, there's horror films and then there's sci-fi and people tend to, to congregate and look for content in that little area of interest. Right. And so the horror films that, that come out of this are, are really substantial. Things like uh, How Awful About Alan with uh, Tony Perkins, uh, The House That Would Not Die, Crowhaven Farm, which is a good one about witches yeah. and, and, and the Puritans. Um, don't be afraid of, don't be afraid of the dark. That was a big one. Yeah. That one is really scary. If you're like 10 years old and you're watching that movie. Oh, yeah. That's what your book did, by the way, I'm reading the book and I'm like, as I go through each movie, I'm like, I remember that one. I saw that one. Oh, that one scared me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's true. It, it, what's funny is you show that today. Like uh, sometimes I show a little segment of the trilogy of terror in my, my TV class. Right. And I preface it by saying, when this originally aired in 1975, it was scary to people. Now, you're going to laugh throughout the entire thing, but it, it was scary when it was first aired. And they, the only thing they ever get a little bit of a chill at, I think, is the end where she's sitting there with the knife and she smiles. She's got that big set of giant razor teeth. Yeah. That's the only thing where they get a little bit of a scare. But otherwise, they're just laughing. It's a little thing running around. So, so having done the book and come out the other side of it, you know, sort of what kind of appreciation did you gain or or empower it or did it grow for these tv movies for that period of television history oh yeah i, I think so and, and and i think the one thing that i that i take away from the movie of the week is the fact that uh, there's such diversity in it as we were talking about there are there's something for everybody there's something if if you like westerns well tune in in two weeks because there'll be a western if you want horror come back in two weeks and and you can get horror so i i think what what's remarkable is you know, you're in the era of three networks, which means your options are somewhat narrow. Yeah. And yet here you could tune in to the movie of the week twice a week later on and get something different every week. And if you didn't like a, a particular character, well, it didn't matter because they weren't going to be on the following week. So it gives you that sense of, of diversity that, that almost in a way foreshadows what, what paid TV is going to be like, where there's a new movie on and it's different and it's different and it's different. It's not the same thing all the time. And the other part that, as I said earlier, that, that really I think is, has been lost is the great utility in understanding how important these films were in reflecting American life. Because if you think about it, feature films get a lot of attention. Right? There are entire majors at, at universities dedicated to film study, but not that much about television and certainly even less about TV movies. But if you think about the impact, there are a lot more people watching TV movies than are watching feature films in the 1970s and 80s by far many more. Oh yeah. And and what I what I realized was that if you really wanted to understand the American public, TV movies are the way to do it much more than the the Oscar winners or the major theater uh, productions because there are more of them, more people watch them and there's even more intimacy, right? When you watch a, a TV program, you are connected to the character. Particularly when they use the same people over and over again from other series you link up with those characters in a way that you maybe don't with the major film star. So I, I think the, the utility of, of the movie of the week is so great when it comes to understanding American life and American culture in that era. Right. Absolutely. What I find funny now is I spoke to somebody about this recently too, in the, in the present, it's amazing how the roles of television and movies have changed to a degree in the sense of your popcorn entertainment now is, is the big screen extravaganzas, yeah. blockbusters, superhero adventures, that sort of thing. Complex characters and themes now you find on television much more than you do in movies. Yeah, it's true. It, it, I mean, TV has, has so far outpaced feature films in terms of quality content. It, it's, it's, it's a bit sad and, and frustrating and because 
every other commercial you see or trailer you see is uh, another superhero film or just some terrible action movie. And the real substantive stuff is, is on television now. To obtain a copy of the ABC Movie of the Week, head over to Amazon or other booksellers and order one. And while you're waiting for it to arrive, subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about it, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.